Welcome to The Tanya Acker Show. I'm Tanya Acker. Welcome to The Tanya Acker Show. My guest today is Jenny Stevens. Jenny is the executive director of the Center for Heirs Property Preservation, and today's show is about land. Uh, welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you, Judge Acker, for um offering me this opportunity. Just Tanya, just Tanya. <laughs> Here I am, Tanya Acker. On Hot Bench, I'm Judge Tanya Acker. We arbitrate cases. Here we have conversations. And this one, I think, is particularly important because, uh, look, we all talk a lot, uh, certainly in the legal community, about why it's important to have a will. Uh, there are many, many, many landowners out there who are in situations uh, where they are sitting on property that they share with other folks, they don't have a will, and then they can end up in trouble. So I want you first, Jenny, to tell us, tell us what you do. Tell us what the Center for Heirs Property Preservation uh, is about. Okay, thank you for this opportunity. So the Center for Heirs Property Preservation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, we were created in 2005, and the mission of this organization is to protect heirs' property and to promote the sustainable use of land for families. Um, so people might ask, what is heirs' property? Um, so this is the non-legal uh, definition because I'm not a lawyer. So for us here in South Carolina, we look at heirs' property as being land that was passed down without a will or the um, family of the deceased individual did not probate their estate within the time allotted by law, which is 10 years. So, and after that 10 year period, they end up owning it jointly. And um, they don't own a particular piece, they own uh, a percentage or a fraction of the whole. And that form of ownership makes it difficult to use and manage and maximize the use of that land. Um, for example, Heirs property owners cannot uh, get a mortgage. They cannot access or they have limited access to state and federal programs for housing. Um, also for uh, federal programs for conservation practices. And last but not least, what has been in the news is FEMA, how there is a natural disaster and people um, are not able to resolve their title issue before um, the window is closed in which to apply. So I just gave you that in-depth, non-legal definition of heirs' property just for people to understand what it means. Um, and so what do we do it here at the center? We have a three-bucket strategy around prevention, resolution, land utilization. Prevention in the sense of preventing the loss of heirs' property and prevent preventing the growth of heirs' property. And we do that through a couple of ways. Um, the foundation of our work is outreach and education. We want landowners to make informed decisions. Our job is just to help, just to provide them the tools in which they can do that. So under that prevention bucket, um, there are educational seminars, which are conducted by our lawyers, because we have lawyers on staff, and our um, one of our foresters, so that Families get to hear, you know, what is it that means to own heirs property, you know, the importance of having a will, and how can you resolve the heirs property issue? And then, hey, by the way, here's an option of how you can generate some income off of that land. 
I want to make sure people understand uh, mm -hmm. what's really at stake here. So you're describing situations where, say, land has been passed down to several mm -hmm. descendants. If there's no will, then there's no clear title. And so if people are sitting on this land, say it's seven, say, say we've got six or seven brothers and sisters or cousins, and right. let's say that that land has been impacted by a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. What you're telling us is that they cannot access FEMA funds because they can't go to FEMA and establish who the clear owner of the land is? Well, that was the case up until about a month ago when FEMA has now changed their rules as to the documentation they will accept to prove that you have ownership in land. But yes, prior to that change, um, most of those landowners were not able to tap into any programs offered by FEMA. And other than FEMA, so FEMA just changed its rules, but mm -hmm. other uh, other opportunities, uh, obtaining a mortgage, obtaining right. uh, money for to make improvements, right. those sorts of things would not be available because because uh, the landowners can't establish clear title. Tell us the story about John. Right. Tell us tell us the story of Johnny Rivers. So Johnny Rivers' story actually occurred prior to the center being in existence. But, um, and I'm paraphrasing it, basically Johnny's sister approached him and says, I want you know the monetary value of what I own in this property, which had been in their family for generations. And Mr. Rivers did not think that she had any right to that because one, she didn't live on the property. She didn't pay property taxes. Um, so he basically kept ignoring her and she went to court and she sued him for her interest in the land. And ultimately what happened and uh, was the judge said the easiest way to divide this, because we've got too many heirs and not enough land to cover all of the heirs. So the easiest way um, to handle this is to sell the land and then divide the money. Well, the problem with that is that the judge did not let it go through a, a normal like real estate sale, you know, put it in the market, letting people put offers on it. It was more of, um, it was an auction. So it didn't mean that they got the highest value. They meant that they got the highest value of the person who was offering it at that time that they wanted to offer. And if I remember correctly, it might've been around $900,000 that Johnny and his family were offered. Um, but the, bulk of that money went to lawyers and realtors. Um, so then the other part of that story is after the land was acquired by the development company, of course, they flipped it and made about $3 million off the land. So now if you think about it, the wealth that should have stayed in that family has now been lost. And not only the wealth, but the relationships in that family were totally destroyed. I Another important piece of that story is how that land came into the hands of the Rivers right. family in the first instance. As I understand it, uh, Johnny Rivers' grandfather was enslaved. And so here was land that was intended to kind of get the descendants of this enslaved person mm -hmm. on the ground. And it end up, in, ended up being, uh, they ended up losing the land. So how would 
your work have changed Johnny's story? Because there are other people who are in that situation. There are plenty of situations, I am sure, (laughs) where uh, there is land owned by many family members. There's no Mm -hmm. will. Somebody wants to sell. Somebody else says we need to keep it in the family. They go to court and the judge says, you know what, I can't force people to be in business. So we're going to give them the value of the land. What, how would your work have changed that dynamic or given them some other options? So the first thing, um, because we do a lot of educational seminars in the community, we hope that uh, Johnny or any of his family would have attended that educational seminar, which would have helped them understand the law that governs heirs property. Then once that family member had attended the seminar, they could have called our organization and asked for help in resolving title to their land, right? So they would have come in and they would have spent a little over an hour with one of our attorneys, with the attorney trying to understand the fact patterns, um, looking at the family tree information that they would have brought in and basically get a resolution plan. If you wanted to quote unquote fix this, here is what you would need to do. So by that time, Johnny would have understood that his sister did have ownership in that land, even though she didn't live on it and she didn't pay any of the property taxes. And if there had been some dissent between the family, once we accepted them as a client, then we would have asked them to undergo a family presentation, which is that educational seminar I mentioned earlier, crafted for the the facts of the family and with mediation incorporated in there because nine times out of the nine times out of 10 the issue has nothing to do with the land it has to do with family dynamics that were never addressed and until you address those family dynamics you're not going to talk about resolving the title to the land so are you helping families mediate in a sense Um, uh, their various claims to to land well yes we offer well mediation is one of our services but to me, the the most um, the largest service or the most important service we offer is education, um, because we're not going to make the decisions for the family. They have to. Um, we've had heard stories where family members have come in and said, oh, because I'm the oldest living heir, then I get to decide what happens to the land. Well, no, that's not true. Or you'll hear people say, because I live on the property, then those people who don't live on the property don't have any ownership. No, that's not true. Or people who are paying the tax bill and say, because the other family members aren't paying it, then they believe, well, I own it because I pay the tax tax bill. It just means that you're the more responsible family member, but you do not (laughs) own it. I mean, you know, we all have some of those, so we won't go there. Um, So yeah, that's what it means. And, And if people if those beliefs that people have are not corrected, they're going to always believe they're right. And they're not going to. And that's exactly what happened to Mr. Rivers. He didn't hear that message. Um, And he felt he was right. And we know as a judge, you know, uh, it's the law that determines what's right. And so to answer your question, I think if we had been in place, we would have been able to provide education to Johnny. We would have been able to at least provide advice and counsel. Um, and if we, he became a client, we would have been able to help mediate agreement among his family. Um, because that is one of the 
primary requirements that we have if we do accept a case. Uh, we don't take it to court without having 100% agreement because we don't want to take it to court and then the family members lose the land. And so we want them to decide and then hand it to the judge and say, this is what we want to do versus someone who's not in the family getting to say, here's what's going to happen. How big a problem is this, Jenny? How widespread a problem is it? Uh, you know, I know Johnny's family right. uh, is African-American, uh, descended from a formerly enslaved uh, person. Um, and I know, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about this too, to the extent uh, you uh, can speak to it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been so many um, overt and covert attacks on African-American land ownership, especially right. in the South, um, different ways that land has been appropriated uh, and expropriated uh, sometimes right. uh, most improperly um, by uh, governments. The whole notion of trying to hold on to what a family has maintained right. uh, seems particularly important. Uh, can you speak to some of that, just sort of the, the struggle to maintain land ownership uh, in the South and also, you know, whether or not this is something that all communities uh, need to really pay attention to? So let me answer that question first. Um, Heirs property, heirs property is not just a phenomenon in the South. Um, if you were to go to the Appalachian area, you would see the same issue, except the skin color of the client would be different. Um, you could go to the, um, for the Native Americans, they're calling it fractionated land, or you could go to the colonias. So to me, heirs property has nothing to do with skin color, but the fact that low-income folk don't sit around the dinner table and discuss estate planning. That is not their priority. Um, so they don't recognize the value in what they own. And I think that is where we're providing that education for them to recognize the value and then use the land to its maximum capacity. Now, to answer your question about the South, um, when African-Americans acquired land and I'm going to go back to after emancipation, but I can tell you most of the cases that come across the attorney's desk here are like back to the 1950s. But if you just want to bear with me for a second, let me take you back to after emancipation. African-Americans acquired land, but it wasn't the best land. You know, it wasn't the best land for because agriculture was the primary um, industry uh, back then. So. The land they acquired was low-lying land where there was, could be, you know, when it rained, it could have flooded. So basically marshland. A lot of the land that was acquired was marshland. Okay, fast forward to today. Everybody wants to be near the water or be close to the water. So what was marsh, <laughs> uh, marshland back then may be considered waterfront property now. And therefore that land, the value of that land has increased significantly. So that's what we see around our area where there's a lot of development. You know, we have Boeing moving here, Volvo is here, Mercedes is here. Um, and of course you've got the suppliers who have to near, be near them. So development pressures are very strong here in the Charleston region. So what we're actually, what you're describing is a situation where lots of folks 
who may not have had the resources or family resources to develop estate plans are sitting on land that is now perhaps extremely desirable. Uh, things that developers want to move forward with. And in order to get maximum value uh, from that developer, all of the landowners, all of those different family members really need to be of one accord. They need to be speaking with one voice so they can make the best deal for themselves. That's what you help people do? Yes, that is it. So, Because you mentioned this earlier, Basically, in some cases, you're asking strangers to make a business deal, to enter into a business deal together, um, because a lot of the family members, they may have left the South or gone up North, and they really have, they're not as connected to the land. And what we have seen is the further someone's attached or has some kind of a connection, the more likely they are to say, let's sell it. Um, so that's why it's important to help the younger generation understand what they own, or I won't even say the younger generation, you know, the next uh, line of family members who will inherit to let them understand what it is they actually own um, and to see green, and I don't mean the land, see green, but yet recognize there are other values to the land where they can generate money. And having said that, I just want to take us back to my three buckets. We talked about the um, resolution, because that was basically the questions you were asking me. And then last one is the land utilization. You know, how do we help families use their, their land or maximize its use? So in 2013, we started a sustainable forestry program through a grant from the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities and two USDA, USDA agencies, uh, Forest Service and Natural Resource Conservation Service. And the premise was you have individuals who are as you said earlier, sitting on land. And if they're provided some tools, be it education, be it access to some cost share programs or access to um, you know, some forestry programs, then they could generate income and they could help move themselves out of poverty. So it's not about a handout. It is really about you know, empowering families, letting them know um, what, you know, what, once they recognize the asset that they have, then they want to learn additional ways and how they can uh, utilize that land. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that piece. By the way, the forest industry, forest and forest products industry in South Carolina is a $21 billion industry. And the South is known as the wood basket. <laughs> um, so by not knowing how to navigate the waters, these individuals are being left out um, of an industry, which it does take work, but it's, um, you know, you plant trees, you got to wait on them, right? So it's not like they're going to be doing this every day, but you start the process and you do the upkeep. But still, once again, $21 billion industry that uh, our families have, some of it, in some cases, haven't really been aware <laughs> that it exists. And that people now could start to, uh, not to use a pun, but really plant the seeds for future mm -hmm. wealth uh, for their the next generation. And, you know, right. make, get your grandkids or grandnieces yeah. and nephews ready to participate in that $21 billion yes. industry. I saw a video with one of your clients mm -hmm. uh, 
And he said that one of the things that your organization uh, teaches people is how to make the land work for you. And that's what you're talking about, I think, right, Jenny, with these uh, forestry initiatives. So tell us, how do you get people to learn how uh, to make their land lucrative and to learn what it is they've got? Right. So with those educational seminars that include um, the legal um, workings around heirs property. We also convene forestry workshops where we not only, and we have foresters on staff, so not only our foresters are participating, but our our partners who can bring the cost share programs, who can talk about, you know, this is how you're doing this. Um, one of the things we discovered when we first started is there were leaders who kind of naturally appeared through these workshops who then began to tell their neighbors about the program. So it became a word of mouth thing, but then we eventually created what we call the Woodlands Community Advocates Institute, where landowners who've gone through five training sessions learns a little bit more about us, about forestry, about uh, the law without practicing law without a license, um, and just making sure they become our evangelists on the ground sharing the word in the community. Uh, So yes, that's how we get the word out. It is about word of mouth. It is about people who've experienced our services. It is about hosting those workshops or making our our participants aware of the workshops our our, uh, partners are having. So it is, it's, it's that saturation of information. And once again, I'll take you back to what I said earlier, outreach and education are key to what we do. I think that um, I would really be remiss if I didn't just break down, given my other job, uh, working on Hot Bench, where I see so many people fighting, families fighting with one another uh, over issues that are, you know, sometimes there's not even as, look, on my show, we only hear $5,000 cases. Um, Here, uh, in cases like with uh, Johnny's family, there's much more at stake. But you really have an opportunity, Jenny, to keep people out of court. I mean, you know, I, I and I don't think that people understand how tough it is to be in court, period, how tough it is to be in court with your family, much less. Uh, you said that this experience with Johnny's family, which is so, you know, to me, it, it, it's so... Um, it really just touched me because I think about this, you know, land that was once held by someone who was in bondage and he had this land mm-hmm. and he passed it on to his family and these family mm-hmm. members end up in court and the land ends up in the hand of a developer who right. made millions uh, off of it. Like that just seems like, a, 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 you know, not the happy ending that uh, that river's ancestor would have wanted. Uh are you able to communicate to these clients like really what they are risking, what they are jeopardizing if they want to continue the kind of intra-family war? Um, do people really, do? You, is it easy for you to communicate to people what litigation is and what the risks are and how much they stand to lose uh, by not coming to some sort of uh, settlement agreement in advance? Well, our legal department does all that good work. I don't get to uh, interact with that. But yes, it is literally, I call them the family whisperers because they're able to help families 
you know, literally you're asking people to put their dirty laundry on the table and talk about it. And so that is important. Now, I can't tell you that everyone who signs up for and receives direct legal services that they go on to the end and to where we can officially go to court and it's settled. Um, I can't say that, but I can also say, you know, I look at it from the starfish mentality. We are able to help some folk um, understand what that asset is and um, help them through the process. As a matter of fact, since our inception, we've resolved about 280 titles um, and the tax assessed value of that land is about 17 million. Wow. $17 million that you have kept in the hands of families uh, so that they can develop and uh, make it productive and build something for themselves with it. That's that's really wonderful, right. Jenny. Tell us, how can people support you? How can people support this work? How can people make sure that land stays in the hands of or rather, how can people make sure that uh, landowners are empowered with the knowledge they need right. to make the best decisions that they that they can? So how can you support us? So, uh, I mean, the obvious answer is make a donation. Everybody knows that. And you can go to our website. But if you tell us are, your website, tell us everybody's is, listening. <laughs> it is heirs property. And that's H-E-I-R-S property dot O-R-G. Um, so we do do online donations, but you can also learn a little more about Ayers property. We accept volunteers, especially for lawyers, when we have our wills clinics where we go out in the community and draft wills that we are in, enlisting their, um, you know, their services, their pro bono services. And last but not least, I think is for people to learn more about the issue and share the importance of having a will and letting the person um, who's the will be the PR know where the will is located and the fact that it needs to be probated. Um, that goes beyond this center here. But if you're looking at the issue of heirs property, if you want to have immediate impact, it is that you help people understand the importance of a will. And I'll say that again, that you help people understand the importance of a will um, because that has how heirs property came about. Um, people either didn't trust the legal system, didn't have access to the legal system, or um, and so they created a way to pass down land, but it was through oral. It was an oral will, O-R-A-L, for my, you know, my, my Southern dialect. Um, and we know if it's not in writing, it's not valid. So if we could spend, you know, if if people could even start just being an evangelist with that message, it would really make a difference as to the loss of land, not just among black folk, but the loss of land among poor or low income folk. Make a will. I am going to be an evangelist for this. <laughs> Make a will, because if you don't, what you're doing is going to you are automatically ceding a part of whatever you're going to get to lawyers and or the government and or somebody else. Make a will. Uh, Jenny Stevens, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this very important work with us. The Center for Heirs Property Preservation. We are going to put the website, the website up. Uh, the link up rather, so people will be able to find you and support your work. Uh, make a will, make a will, make a will. Thank you, Jenny Stevens from the Center for Heirs Property Preservation. 
Thank you for having me today, Tanya. Take care. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. Darkoya Connor and Sam Fragoso are our producers. Rich Marchuka is our editor. Cole Mitchell is our composer. Our production assistant is Sydney Freeman. Our graphic designer is Greta Lalike. Audrey Ruiz is our social media manager. And our web developer is Eric Valentine. If you like us, and I hope you do, please subscribe, please leave five stars, and please come back. Thanks so much for being here.